Popscorn is a podcast started in 2014 for FoulEntertainment.com and we've reached 100 episodes and it's only taken us nearly five years. So to celebrate, what are our top 10 movies of all time? I'm Mike. And I'm Darren. And this is Popscorn 100, baby! on the Fan Entertainment Movie Review Podcast. Happy 100th episode, Darren. Thanks, babe. Happy 100th episode to you too. It's it's not 100th episode or, well, 100th podcast we've ever done, and it's not even the 100th podcast we've ever done in Fan Entertainment, but it's the first time we've seen a new series through to 100 episodes, and it's taken since, well, I think it was October or December 2014, but we're finally oh. here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Considering we were recording podcasts prior to that, uh, yeah, this <laughs> we abandoned new series a lot faster than thought. Who remembers Disagreements? <laughs> All four episodes of it. Look forward uh, to uh, yeah. episode 100 of Disagreements in 2045, maybe. <laughs> That's a push. We've only done four. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> oh god but i mean we are film boys at the end of the day uh when we started uh, uh the off topic podcast way back in the day that was predominantly focused on film so it's always been our wheelhouse and we've always you know that, that that's where like the vast majority of our references come from it's where the vast majority of our like drive to do the podcast comes from so we thought we'd celebrate that today by going through Admittedly, this is part one, so numbers 10 through 6, of our 10 favourite movies of all time. Now, that's not best movies of all time. We're not trying to be critically objective when we talk about the movies we talk about today and next week or halfway through the week or whenever this next episode comes out. Because we're not interested in being critics today. We just want to talk about the things that made us fall in love with film. Exactly that. We are not here to really be critics of any... I mean, not that we are anyway, um, lest I point out that Sonic the Hedgehog made my top ten films of uh, last year. So, I mean, I don't <laughs> think we have any real credibility. But yeah, if you're here for any nuance, I think you're in the wrong place. You might need to skip the next two episodes because it is just going to be a lot of, I really like this thing and here's why. But that's fine to do sometimes. time. We've spent... Well, 99 episodes being at least semi-critical of movies, it's time to give ourselves a break. Now, we both sat down to try and whittle this down. I will say I found one through seven pretty easy. It was it was then the cutting of what doesn't make those last three spaces that I found particularly difficult. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um, I really agonised over this. I think because, like a fool, I have placed slightly more restrictions on myself than you have. Mm. And that is that is a reflection of me and my way of thinking. It's not a reflection of, you know, either of us doing it right or wrong. But I've purposefully not 
chosen multiple films inside franchises so there'll only be one mcu film one star wars film that's probably spoilers for both of our lists <laughs> but that's the... really <laughs> if you know even anything about us over the last 100 episodes <laughs> Yeah. of this show it's that uh, you can almost guarantee there's going to be some franchises in there um yeah that's about it but th- there are some there are some movies that have missed out uh it really pains me because like you know when you describe a movie as one of your favorites and then you can't even represent it in the first 10 and you're like is it actually my favorite yeah. and then you have a little bit of a crisis of conscience uh yeah um, we won't do a make a big deal out of you but darren um do you want to share some of the ones that you had to leave out of your 10 i will do so i'll start with the ones that we're never going to make the top 10 but we're in at least some level of consideration uh, so Rogue One, Winter Soldier, uh, Lost World, Jurassic Park, uh, X-Men Days of Future Past and X-Men 2, Spider-Man 2, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, Ace Ventura, Hot Fuzz, Anchorman. I considered for a second sticking to my own Jackass rule and putting Jackass on there, but I didn't. And uh, Godzilla 1999 didn't get a look in either, but it's on the shortlist. Now, everything from like 15th, up to uh well basically anything i'm gonna rattle off now these last five movies on a different day could take the number 10 spot there is not a lot in it but i had to cut scott pilgrim didn't quite make it kick-ass didn't make it uh infinity war didn't make it star wars a new hope didn't make it and the one that i really agonized over because it's been in my top 10 fake films for a while and then i, I did a rejig Rocky Four didn't make it. Rocky Four is currently sat at eleventh, and I wow. fucking adore Rocky Four in every <laughs> yes. which way possible. And like on a different day, it probably would get into the top ten if I just watched it the night before. It would definitely make it there, but I've, I, I, I ultimately I had to shift it down a little bit. Yeah, it's really hard not to show bias. And just to give people an idea of what didn't make it for me. So some of the the, the less likely options, but are movies that I do talk about in quite high regard are movies like Back to the Future, The Princess Bride, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, Nightmare Before Christmas, This is Spinal Tap. The ones that might even less likely that you wouldn't think that these were in consideration, but both uh, Casablanca and Some Like It Hot were in consideration at some point. Uh, They're both two of my favourite older movies. Just to give you an idea of what didn't make it, Old Boy, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Inception, Pacific Rim, La La Land, Kick-Ass, any Spider-Man movie, uh, and Your Name. And by by proxy, no anime movies appear in this top ten. Oofed. But at least you had some, like, actual credible movies like Casablanca in there. Like... At one point, Austin Powers in Goldmember was on the lunged list of... Oh, good film, though. <laughs> I do, I do love... And Airplane was also on there for a little bit, but I was... Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, I had to cut a lot of good comedy movies. So, like, nothing with Jim Carrey, nothing with Leslie Nielsen, nothing by Zucker Abrams and Zucker. None of it's there. I feel so bad about that. Yep, so I feel aggrieved that so many Jim Carrey movies got cut, because I own most of them and adore them so, but... Alas, sacrifices had to be made. And like I said, this this bit, everything from, uh, well, 10, 9th and 8th is somewhat fluid. But, uh, yes, yeah, so catch me on the right day, they might get moved up, they might get moved down, who knows. But you had to make 
so as of today, uh, the 10th of May 2021, these are my ones. Can I kick us off, Magnum? You very much can. Right. We are going to try and stick to about five minutes per movie. We're not going to set a... Well, I am going to set a timer, but it's going to be loosely followed at best because we don't want to completely rattle through this, especially these ones. I think next episode we're going to be really loose with time and just give ourselves all the time in the world to talk about our top five favourite movies. But mm. here we go. At number 10, just about holding Rocky Four under the water, it's The Dark Knight. Uh, so... I've got some little facts. Uh, released in 2008, re- directed by Christopher Nolan, uh, has a Rotten Tomato score of 91% and a gross of $1 billion. Uh, and yeah, I I put it on here because, I mean, it's been basically a lot of other MCU movies to find itself here. And I had to really think of like, well, why do you prefer this to Winter Soldier, for example? I think it's because, and this is where sentimentality is going to come into a lot of these picks of coming in 2008 and kind of preceding all those more serious Marvel movies, it was the first serious superhero movie to take itself pretty much 100% seriously. And I think it's done so much of a benefit for that kind of superhero movie that they all take a little bit from this. And I remember I came downstairs a few weeks ago. We were actually, we just finished recording a podcast and... Uh, I tried to convince my fiance to watch Dark Knight several times. Uh, she'd fell asleep a few times. And all I went downstairs and um, she was like half an hour into it. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was, she was like, I know. I just I finally got around to watching it, Darren. Are you proud of me? I'm like, I'm so proud. Um, and yeah, we just I sat down and was like, I hadn't watched it for at that point quite a few years because every time she fell asleep obviously I turned it off so this is the first time we're watching it through in several years right to the end and it's so good and I know a lot of focus of that goes on to Heath Ledger's Joker but he's not like he's the best thing about the movie but there's so many other great things going in there like it's basically the best interpretation of what would actually happen in the real world if superheroes were real I don't know you, Michael, but I don't think a lot of any movie since has really captured it as perfectly as this one has. No, because I think a lot of films since then have have desired to make their own world rather than going, what if this superhero exists in real life? Yeah. Because I and I genuinely believe this because the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight as a film, and then therefore the Dark Knight trilogy as a you know as a, as a cinematic opus, mm. um, did it so well it scared everybody else off. Because yeah. it is that good. There are very few movies that, uh, and just to give you an idea of the scale of the action of this movie, if you haven't seen it, um, Christopher Nolan uh, got his team to suplex a truck for mm. one shot. <laughs> um, and that's the level of grandeur that this film reaches. And it doesn't feel any less thematically um, like similar to what else is happening. And there's quite a lot of scenes of just people talking in this movie. Yeah. And it is tense as fuck. Right, it's it's that's what it's going for the most is that tension, that rising tension that goes all the way through the movie as the Joker's plans kind of ramp up, and you know him showing like, what if there was actually a psycho claim, right? What would actually happen with that? And you know the bit on the boat when they're trying to decide whether the the boat full of normal everyday passengers just trying to escape Gotham. And the boat full of prisoners are going to catch up. And that kind of moral quandary of, well, why should we die when they're all convicts? 
oh, oh, I love it so much. That's a sentence I'm going to say a lot in the next two episodes, but <laughs> it's it, it nothing really kind of captures that escalating tension as well as this movie does. And I mean, you just have to look at its legacy in quotations of like the DCEU has not recovered from trying to capture the same lightning in the bottle again. Even its own sequel can't do it as well. That tries to basically do do a remix version of this, but take the stakes up more. And it doesn't quite work as well. Because it is like a almost granularly perfect movie in that, you know, a few grains of sand in the sequel, it kind of throws off the whole balance. Yeah, it is such a well-oiled machine that, like you say, something as, as minute as a detail in the plot to the sequel makes it look so far less in comparison to The Dark Knight. We have to talk about Heath Ledger. And I know we've already mentioned him because this was obviously um, very similar to what we thought was going to happen in the Oscars this year. This was a posthumous performance that won uh, an Academy Award. And I think it's completely deserved. It is easily Heath Ledger's best performance. Um, it is it is on par with the one he gave in Brokeback Mountain, if not better. So it he's done some good stuff. And that version of the Joker is iconic to a generation. Mm-hmm. So much that's so it, it feel it felt monumental when anybody else was cast as the Joker in anything else, unless that person's name was Mark Amor. Um yeah. But like you know, everyone like the the fear that everybody felt when Jared Leto took over for the DCEU, the the same fear, years removed when Joaquin Phoenix took over for the standalone Joker movie, and you might even argue, as much as I love it, that even the standalone Joker movie didn't do as good a job representing the Joker as it did here. Mm-mm. It's absolutely perfect, and like. And that's the thing, he's so good that he overshadows another excellent all-time Hall of Fame supervillain performance by Aaron Eckhart as um, Harvey Dent. Oh, yes. Like, yes. Everyone forgets that Two-Face is in this movie, and he's excellent. Like, looks-wise, perfect. Storyline, perfect. The fact that he shouts, Rachel, which is perfect for my own uses. <laughs> uh, she, she didn't understand, like, what, she, why do you always shape me in that funny accent? Going, Rachel, ah, say it! Um, she never... She, <laughs> She didn't get that until now, but uh, yeah, I and and the ending, of, oh, the he has to be the hero. Yeah, he has to make the sacrifice play at the end. He's the hero we deserve, and not the one we need right now. There's so many quotable bits. It's kind of got a bit pastiche to do it, mm. and like it's basically a parody now. But don't let that take away from the fact that this movie is fucking excellent, and yet it's only number ten. Maggle. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big task to live up to for that to be your number ten. Yeah. Um, which is why you'll be pleased to know that my number ten is, of course, the inaugural jackass pick of our one hundredth episode. Go on. Um, I've picked a movie that I I I really do love, despite the fact that it might be one of the biggest pieces of shit ever to exist. <laughs> Uh, which is why number 10 I have from the year 2003, uh, a film that was written, produced, executive produced, no less, and directed by an utter madman who goes by the name of Tommy Wiseau. It is The Room at number Michael, 10. Michael, Jesus Christ, you can't put... <laughs> Michael. Yes, I can, and I will. <laughs> I didn't put Godzilla 1999 on this list, Michael. You can't put the fucking room... Oh God! <laughs> to remind you, none of the Spider-Man movies are here, and the room is. You 
match. No, this is the thing. Every movie you know, don't put in your top ten. I'm going to have to remind you that you put the room above them. <laughs> oh. yeah. I... I... There was one of the criteria that I actually kind of set myself when it came to picking these 10 movies. And it was the movies that not only did I enjoy the first time around or had some kind of reaction to the first time around, but something that either maintained or evolved on. And I mean, multiple, multiple, multiple rewatches. I've watched The Room more times than I care to admit to, um, because whilst the movie itself is inept in every plausible way it is a complete trash fire story wise shot wise editing wise the music choices are weird the acting is dreadful and yet i truly believe that this is the the one of the best examples of cinema as a community that i can think of i can't think of anybody that I have shown this movie to, who didn't enjoy watching it, despite the fact it is like an hour and 40 of total wasted time. Oh, man. Okay, so a couple of facts about this since we're doing that. Obviously, I said it was uh, released in 2003 on quite the shoestring budget of uh, $6 million somehow. What? Um, Yes, <laughs> this movie was made for $6 million, if you can believe it, and it has one of the most impressive box office grosses of any movie I've ever seen, which, of course, was $1,900. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, even in pandemic times, that's pretty fucking pathetic. Oh. Uh, it's it, it's a core hit, though, and, and I, I see why, because I, I think that the it's similar to another movie that's in my top 10. But there is there are just moments in this movie that have become and we talked about the meme culture surrounding the Dark Knight, the meme culture surrounding the room. Holy shit. That is much larger, um, you know, from the I, I didn't I did not hit her to the cancer storyline that comes and goes out of the movie as it pleases to uh i'm fed up with this work just tommy Wiseau as a as an existence as a as an, a a master class in what can only be described as what are you doing because it's not acting i don't know what it is but it's not acting and yet somehow i th i genuinely think it's one of the greatest comedies oh. of all time i know that wasn't his intent but you have to look at it as an inept melodrama but as a as a piece of comedy for your you and your mates or whoever else you wish to introduce to this absolute catastrophe, it makes for one of the funniest nights of the year every time I sit down to watch it. And that's why it has to be on the list, because I genuinely look forward to watching this utter pile up. I can't believe you've done this to us. <laughs> I can't. I'm having genuine strong... Emotions. Star says we mean to go on. <laughs> I have only seen the room once, and it was under almost lab-like conditions because uh, someone I went to university with was doing a dissertation on it, mm. and I was corralled into a room under not a lot of pretense. Going, uh, you need to watch this movie. I need to do my dissertation now. And I was like, oh, okay. And there was about ten of us in there, and I don't look back fondly on my time watching the room. I understand that in the, it's it's almost like a Rocky Horror thing, like and again like. Fan forced it was for us, like 300 Rise of an Empire. If you're in the right mood and you're in the right situation, it can be hilarious, but it is objectively, Michael, a bad film. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I agree. Objectively, one of the worst films ever made. Not objectively, one of my favourite films to watch. Now, you know what? Sentimentality does play 
a lot, especially as we get into um, some of the later picks, sentimentality is a intangible that only really applies to you. And this is why we said it, this is their favourite movies of all time. So you know what? If it's one of your favourite movies, that's fine. If we were making our best films of all time, it would not even get a peak, right? Just say no, that absolutely feel, not. Okay, I feel absolutely better now. Absolutely not. Like oh. I said, it's fucking dreadful. Awful. It is so bad. The the fact that I can with with a with my hand on my heart tell you right now, if I had to watch Nomadland or The Room, I would happily watch The Room. You know what, Michael? So would I. I <laughs> I actually tried to watch that thing and you told me that nothing happens and I believe I text you that nothing would have been an improvement. Nothing was an overstatement because <laughs> nothing nothing is something and oh yeah. Wow. Uh let's yep. let's not yep. we'll, we'll save that for the end of the year stuff, but uh <laughs> there we go. Right, number nine, and it might surprise you to see this low. Uh, it's one of two MCU movies. Uh, it's not much of a spoiler because the other MCU movies up next. Uh, but number nine, we find Avengers Endgame. Yeah, no, totally deserved. Yeah, 2019 from the Russo brothers. Easily the most highest grossing film on this list because it's the highest grossing movie of all time at $2.7 billion. Uh, and has a Rotten <laughs> Tomato score of 94%, which puts it joint... Uh, we've uh, both... you've said you've said Rotten Tomatoes now. Now I need to know what the Rotten Tomatoes score is for the room. Please do go find that information, Michael. I feel that's integral to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, ninety four is the highest. There's there's three films in this top uh, in this uh, ten through six all have ninety four percent. This is one of them. Uh, one of them is Dark Knight. The other one's at number six. So we'll get to that soon. Right. I mean, where do you even start with this? Like this is. I'm not going to say it feels like one of the most important films of the last 10 years. It is. I feel the one we're going to talk about next is probably more important personally, but mm. this is this is a movie when, you, when you're watching it, you're like, I'm going to be watching this for the rest of my life. This is not going to go in and out of fashion. This is our Star Wars, basically, for this generation. Yep. It's something we're going to be showing our kids. It's something we're going to be showing our grandkids. It is the most epic... I know that's a very overused phrase these days, but it is genuinely the most epic movie I've probably ever seen in terms of its like scope. Nothing feels this big because nothing can be this big. It took, what, 20 movies to get to this point and no one has ever had that run of quality. I know there's like 20 plus Bond movies, but they're not building towards one thing. They are all their own little encapsulated movies. It's really only in the Daniel Craig ones that they've kind of had a, you know, try to add some serialization to it. Nothing else has ever had this, and it's going to take, I mean, 20 movies to get to this one point means that we might still be 10 years off another franchise even getting to this point to have a stab at being better than Avengers Endgame. So I think narratively, you could probably poke some holes in it. It's a little, it's a little uh, downbeat and a bit tonally over the place sometimes. But for just what it pulls off, you have to admire it. And there's, there's no such thing as like it takes a while to watch it. Don't get me wrong. This isn't something you can just throw on. But if you're gonna, if you plan ahead, my God, you're gonna have a good time. 
Absolutely. You have to realise that this is a film that no one can watch without doing their homework either. Not even not even in a sense of like, oh, you've got to watch all the specific movies. No, no, you can't even watch this devoid from Infinity War. Yeah, because it's very much it's a part two of that film, which is act three of an entire franchise um, that is pretty much just has one plot of let's fix what happened in the previous film. And yet it works. And yet it feels like the like you said, one of the most important movies made in, in modern history because it is because it it shows you how powerful that franchise is and continues to be. The very fact that it's one of the highest grossing movies of all time and is remembered in the same league as films like Avatar and Titanic is testament not only to the money it does, but to the reaction it had in its audiences. People were excited and people get excited to see Marvel movies to, you know, a certain degree. But this was hysteria. There was a, f- a literal like fight to try and get tickets to the midnight showing. Mm-hmm. And when that is something that normal moviegoers begin to do, where they literally cannot stand to be minutes, hours removed from new information regarding these characters and this story, you know it's done something very important. And it's captured, like you say, a generation of viewers in much the same way that things like Star Wars and Star Trek have done. It it can't be understated how important the MCU is now, not only to just to its fans, to comic book movies, to action movies, but to cinema. Again, it kind of has that Dark Knight problem, and it's it's something we discussed about um, the Legend of Zelda franchise going forward. Of like, is its biggest flaw is that it's actually too good and too big that it's now going to cast a shadow over everything in the Marvel universe going forward. That they'll never that they're going to try and repeat the trick at some point to get back to this level of like everyone's here. They phoned everybody. Let's go get them that that's going to be a problem like not that that you never you should ever not have ambition because you're worried about how you follow it up but that's a a hell of a legacy for this movie if nothing else that it kind of then makes everything pale in comparison to it by comparison oh god i'm a little bit worried going forward for the marvel cinematic universe not that there should be quality has been there throughout but yeah when you're so big and so good that everything has to be worried about you that's saying something it does uh unless we remember lest we remember lest we forget let's not do both uh, <laughs> um they uh they released a video recently uh telling us about the mcu phase four movies that are coming out mm-hmm. and they even showed well they even let you hear some reactions to one of the biggest moments in the movie yep. which became its own subgenre on youtube in the months following that film's release was yep. literally just people's reactions to specific moments in that film holy shit I you know, know like back when viral video was in his infancy i think maybe i think for a couple of weeks there was like oh these these little kids like find out who darth vader is for the first time and you go oh that's cute that's cute and then this it's like no no i remember being in that room when cap caught the hammer and yes these people's response is well earned I was jumping about four foot in the end, like two seats down from you when that happened. 
Oh, I think I was oh. trying to launch myself into the stratosphere of just, oh my god. Um, <laughs> yeah, more on the MCU next. Next? Um, well, not for me. Not anyway. for you, no. No, for, not for me. Oh, I had to double check. Uh, the Room actually has a 23% uh, critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which means it is well above Fantastic. Good, good for it. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. It's not an MCU movie that's next for me. At number nine, it is actually... Uh, a movie that I think I thought about immediately and was straight away like these. This is one of my movie favorite movies of all time. It's going to be a strong contender, and then it ended up towards the bottom of the list um, by no fault of its own because it is one of my favorite films uh, from 1979. Is The Warriors? Um, it's a movie that I don't get to talk about that often, but I really love it. Um, like I say, released in 1979, directed by Walter Hill. It's based on a novel from 1965 of the same name by Sol Yurik. If you've never seen it before, um, it is about a, a gang based in Coney Island in New York City who must make a journey across Manhattan of about 30 miles from the north end back to the Bronx. Uh, sorry, the north end of the Bronx back to Coney Island after they're framed for murdering a respected gang leader. Um, most people will have learnt about this movie through the 2005 Rockstar game, and I am no different. That is that is exactly how I learnt about this film. Um, and I think it's that game which actually adds a lot more story to the Warriors than the film contains. In fact, it's really only the back end of the game where you're replaying the events of the movie that I realised I really liked the creativity making something that feels at the same time so grounded and yet so incredibly campy that you couldn't believe all this shit was happening. Um, and this, let, let's not believe, this isn't actually that big a movie. It cost $4 million to make in 1979 and uh, it got a box office of $22.5 million. So it didn't really do much of anything. It got its money back, sure, but it wasn't like a, absolute critical and uh, commercial success um but it is a cult film you might see a bit of a theme emerging with my choices um yeah i just i just really love this movie it has a fantastic soundtrack uh, it has some really like memorable villainous characters i'm thinking specifically of the character of luther i mean there's that uh really iconic scene of him clanking the bottles um to, like he's got his fingers in all these empty beer bottles and he's clanking them together and the warriors come out to play and this is like he's trying to intimidate these people and he's the guy who's framed them for this murder of this messiah like figure called cyrus um actually i i, I should have opened with this darren have you seen the warriors i'm a level with you i haven't I, I highly recommend you amend that. I don't think you'll enjoy it as much as I did, but it is so, so campy and so, so good. I love that each of the gangs have this very distinct visual style to them. Um, I think the one that the fans all love are the baseball furies, which are, they all dress, dress up in baseball gear and give themselves kiss makeup. It looks ridiculous, and yet they are somehow some of the most imposing characters in the movie. Um, there's some really lovable main characters. So you've got uh, Swan, played by Michael Beck, who's like your all-American hero. Um, you've got Ajax, played by uh, James Raymar, who's a dick and like goes goes out in like the best possible fucking way because he goes out swinging against the baseball furies it's so fucking good you've got 
the most confusing Afro and a white man of all time on Marcelo Sanchez's Rembrandt. Um, yeah, you've got, and then like you meet all these weird gangs, like the ones that all dress up like Shaggy that are called the orphans and just everyone thinks they suck and that's their character. Um, right. Or like, or the Lizzie's who are like a, just a, a gang of like violent lesbians, just brilliant. <laughs> just, it's, it's so weird to talk about this film and just like go, I just think it's cool. I just think there was this sense of like of this this urban chaos represented in such a com- like comic book style way, and maybe that's why I love it is because it's based on quite a grounded, realistic, gritty novel about like basically the the radicalization and violence in youth. And then it's presented as like, it's like a Dragon Ball Z movie. It's just all these groups of people in weird costumes just turn up and try and like, and, and the, the te- the warriors themselves are picked off one by one as the film goes on until you've got like the group that actually make it back to Coney Island to have the big confrontation with the destroyers who's like their, um, their rival team. Oh man, man it's just, it's just so corny and I love it so much. And this, oh, okay, I'm gonna have to stop now because it's just gonna become noises, and right. it's just there is just a sense of of I just remember loving this film, and it doesn't go away despite however many flaws I see, especially in the editing. It's quite sloppily edited, but it doesn't detract from the enjoyment that I got. And again, it, part of it is because of that introduction through that video game, which is just such a good video game. It's very rare that Rockstar does any movie adaptations, but when he does, it does the best possible thing with it. Oh, yeah. Great film. Great film. Love a bit of 70s uh, weirdness. I do need to watch it. Although, look, I, I feel like just through osmosis, I've seen most of the film. Particularly because we were watching, uh, in our attempts to watch every Simpsons episode, we came across season 25, episode 14, The Winter of His Content, which for some reason in 2014, The Simpsons felt the need to do a Warriors parody. What? 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 Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So season 25, episode 14, give it a watch. Uh, It's Bart and the Bullies uh, doing a Warriors pastiche, including the guy with the bottles doing the bullies come out to play <laughs> uh, Rachel was like what the hell is this I was like oh they're for some reason they're trying to do a Warriors parody and if it's going over your head I imagine it went over most people's but there we are uh, and it's like a, almost the entire episode is an all consuming Warriors parody it's eternally like it's liked by certain sets of people but those who like it really fucking like it so I do need to get round to watching it now my number eight does not have that problem it might be one of the most viewed movies of all time it's from 2012 it's the next mcu movie of course it's the avengers uh the original uh 1.5 billion in gross uh box office 91 percent on rotten tomatoes i i put this above endgame because I, though i feel like there's a lot going for endgame in that film's favor in terms of the action i mean the ending is just unbelievably good this is the first sign of like real sentimentality coming into a peak because this film felt impossible like in the build-up to it from the first like from sam jackson saying the word the avengers a lot of people me and you included were of the opinion they were never going to make that movie they were never going to be able to pull off something as audacious as tying together 
uh, well, five separate movies into one cohesive action movie, mm. and it'd be good. I remember, like, if you go back, if you can somehow go in a time machine and listen to the old, um, oh my god, I've forgotten the name of our old podcast. Off Topic. Oh, oh my god, of course it was, yeah. If you go back and listen to old Off Topic episodes, I think we were both quite cagey about ever talking about this going it can't be good can it it's not gonna work even when we knew that thor and captain america were coming we were still both like i don't know though and (laughs) then it arrived put all those fears to like bed straight away and was just one of the most fun cinema experiences i've ever been to of like it felt important same way endgame did but because it was still a little bit insular i mean it made 1.5 billion dollars but that was the movie that really took things to the next level and really made superhero movies mainstream you know iron man laid the 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 groundwork for that but this is the one that really tipped things over the edge because it just felt like we finally got a movie that we'd all it felt like a community effort to get to this point you know what i mean like as much as it wasn't because it's obviously a studio driven thing they were owned by disney at this point but it just felt like we, we had willed this into existence and it has now, for better and for worse, has impacted all major thinking in Hollywood. For better, we got to continue on with more Marvel movies, more Avengers films. Uh, we've got some like the MonsterVerse, all the Godzilla and Kong stuff of that crossovers. It's opening the doors possibility. Of course, it's had a lot of disastrous effects. If you look at, again, the DCEU, whatever the hell the Dark Universe was meant to be, like... <laughs> Everyone thinks it's easy because this one made it seem so effortless. It doesn't feel like, in some way, it does feel like the culmination of everything that came before it, but it's also a lot better at standing on its own. You don't get as much out of it if you've just watched The Avengers without any of the other context. But I feel like it stands on on its own much better than Endgame does, for example. So I think that's why I'd put it above it. Although, you know, if if I had the, the choice cuts of Endgame up against the choice cuts of Avengers probably going to choose Endgame, but and it is it is quite a Josh whedon movie, and if you're not into that, I understand, but just the interactions as what everyone is there to do, and I think that's what people kind of lose sense of in these big franchise movies. It's seeing all these separate, disparate characters finally meet each other and interact for the first time, and you know, every Avengers movie has that to some extent, but this felt different, because it was genuinely the first time all of these characters were meeting for the first time and i think that just gives it that warm little place in my heart that endgame maybe doesn't quite have to the same extent the the thing to keep in mind about what makes the avengers such a triumph is that at this time i would say pre pre pre-april 2012 iron man captain america thor and the hulk were considered cast off dead not interesting characters in movies Mm -hmm. I mean, Captain America especially, who I think comes out of this film, apart from, I mean, costume aside, he comes out of this film fucking incredibly. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting now to see how we thought this wouldn't work, because the movies now are working with, you know, 22, 23, 24, I don't know how many there are now, movies worth of plot and collective knowledge and character progression and you know people having their own series and then we'll go back into movies and then they might even start in a movie and so, so starting a series and go into a movie it's not what this film set out to do it was just trying to do okay here's movie one two three four or character one two three four let's put them all here 
if it works after that, cool, we might do something else. It felt like a final act in what they were trying to do originally. And then and then we the world was first introduced to Thanos without mm. knowing how that was going to shape all of these films going forward. When just, you know, we were all angry that the Cosmic Cube was called the Tesseract and then it swung us for something else there. We were all like, oh, but we've already had Loki as a villain. We don't need it twice. And it was mm-hmm. a far and away improved performance. And I think just just absolutely worked as like the first what's the word i'm looking for like cataclysmic thing that they've yeah. had to deal with oh well you know all these characters aren't interesting you know cap isn't the main character of the avengers you look where he stands on the poster he's on top of a car in the back far away from the man who leads all known heroes into battle as mm-hmm. he would do around eight years well 12 uh yeah seven years later <laughs> yeah that was a horrifying thing i had been looking at the research. the avengers is 10 years old next year Oh, fucking hell. Life is a blink and miss it experience, isn't it? Um, <laughs> that was. Remember when we were worried about are they really going to have enough time to juggle six main characters? How naive we fucking were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And it just keeps topping itself as well. The, and much like The Dark Knight, this had that sequel problem of like, well, how do you top it? And it, it, would, it wouldn't take really until Infinity War until we understood what topping it looked like. Yeah. And But you never forget it the first time you see it. The first time you realised, oh, fuck, now this does actually work. And it's not just the standard model. I mean, the superhero model that we had that wasn't X-Men at that point was one superhero per movie. Yeah. That broke this thing. It broke it wide open. <laughs> it introduced us to, you know, comic style continuity inside of movies, something that we really hadn't seen on this scale since the Universal Monsters. And it's mm-hmm. redefined cinema. It, it just has. Exactly. So that is why somehow, again, that's only number eight. Um, <laughs> I think we're about to depart the place where, like, overall quality because like for example the next movie i'm going to talk about has only a 71 percent on rotten tomatoes but anyway uh that's for me next what's next for you michael it is um, another movie you're you're gonna see a lot of going back and forth in time so we're moving very much forward uh from the warriors of 1979 uh to 2014 to a movie that no joke only made its way onto the list this afternoon until I remembered I'd forgotten it completely and went, <laughs> no, actually, I've watched that film more times than uh, than is probably normal. It is one of my favourite movies. It's probably not what people think of when they think of their favourite movies, but fuck it. John Wick, 2014, the original, it's on here, and it deserves every little thing. Um, it, weirdly, this is one that's like... <laughs> People know Keanu Reeves and they they know the kind of movies that he's interested in taking on, which is why a relatively low budget action movie that is very, very thin on plot seemed like a weird choice for him. And then it redefined his career. Um, critically, 86 percent on the tomato meter with an 81 audience percent score. So nothing to sniff at at all. Great, great film. What this film does is just it sets out to do one thing really well. And in doing that, it improves every other aspect of the movie. The movie was only interested in going, right, it's one revenge tale. We're just going to do the action really well. And what it came out with was an interesting mythos for the rest of the story. 
some beautiful cinematography, especially with its um, like long cuts that it just sh- gives the action time to breathe. And ultimately, the choreography is the star of the show. And, you know, the whole gun fu thing that we got a little bit in The Matrix is taken to the nth degree here because it is just one incredibly angry man who will not stop. There is, I don't think there's anything more iconic about this franchise than, uh, and it's not even a scene that John Wick is in. It is a scene where the uh, the mob boss, who I've completely forgotten who plays him, so I'm really sorry about this. I'm going to have to look it up. That man is played by Jesus Christ. Um, Michael, oh, wow, that's a name. <laughs> is it Nyquist? Nyquist? Michael Nyquist? I don't know, something like that. Uh, who plays the uh, the mob boss, Vigo. Uh, and he, he's saying to his son, played by Alfie Allen, the bastard... <laughs> I like Alfie Allen. It's just a Game of Thrones thing. Um, he, he says to him, I watched him kill a man with a fucking pencil. He just paints this picture of this character before you've even really met John Wick, the hitman. At this point, he's just been dog dad John Wick. And then as you know, there's that that brilliant sequence where it's intercut between this conversation of just this Russian little shit has broke into this man's house and killed his dog and stolen shit from him and all this because of uh, he wouldn't sell him his car I think mm-hmm. and it's like you've awoken the fucking demon <laughs> and you, a bullet hasn't been fired yet and you're like fuck this is gonna be good uh-huh. <laughs> I mean you've seen this one as well so you can actually contribute to this one I can I I like John Wick, but I remember at the time you said, like, it's your favourite action movie of all time. And I do really like John Wick. And I like, I, I, I mean, number two has a few problems. Number three is pretty good. But I, I don't love it to the same extent you do. I think it's great, but I, I feel like it's just... Cause I think I've watched it so close to the raid, and they're very similar movies. Mm, that I think yeah. they kind of they they not so much cancelled each other out, but they kind of lessened the impact because I'd already seen it done in the raid. I think if I'd seen this fresh without seeing that movie, I might be a bit more favourable to it. But yeah, I I don't get me wrong. I love it. I'm looking forward to the. I like. I do like the universe. I just feel like it. It's a bit funnily set up in number two, but it does kind of pay off in number three. And I appreciate that, considering you are right. There's basically no plot in this. And, yeah, I, I just don't have the same passion for it, unfortunately. <laughs> That's more than fair. But like, the, I think the world it creates is very interesting in the sense of there is this... I mean, by, by the end of the, the second movie, everybody's an assassin. There's just way too many assassins. Um, yeah. But, you know, this this... In the first movie, what it feels like is you are genuinely experiencing an underworld at full operation, operating at the at the highest level, where there are, you know, codes and rules and safe places for these people who are contracted killers. And it they all have they have their own weird currency and their own weird language, and everyone's assigned somebody who specifically, you know, takes them to what can only be described as a tailor's gun shop. Mm-hmm. And it's just all this like you get these tinges of what this world is like, and yet somehow none of that detracts from you killed my dog, prepare to die. And yeah. there's just that and it's what it does as well is that I think this movie could be seen as because it's extremely violent. 
and like it it goes a bit more wacky as the films go on especially number three where it was uh you know they actually that is set in casablanca funnily enough but you know it's it's john wick halle berry and two dogs versus everybody in the fucking horse and it's mm-hmm. it, it just goes to this ridiculous extreme in this one you watch john wick clear out a nightclub and it is brutal and bloody and there is not a single survivor and because of how well they've set up that motive because they've made you feel like you know you're on side of the man who has lost his wife he's got this dog it is the, the last present that she posthumously got him and it is just this this is the last remnant of the life he left being an assassin to live and it is taken away from him it is ripped and you feel that pain and there is nothing that can replace that. So you as an audience become as desensitized to what's going on as John Wick as a character is. And that works so well in trying to tell that story that you don't feel bad about anybody who dies in this movie, despite the fact that there's there's some genuine like fear in these characters. They are so scared it is like a reverse horror movie in that way because there is just this unstoppable force coming he's over there he doesn't need to run he doesn't need to shout he's just silently killing systematically everybody you know and love about and you're on his side that's how you know the film's done something truly iconic i'm surprised they haven't made a triple a video game out of it it seems like the most no-brainer Thing in the world right uh, i feel like there should be like some good uh some good like rhythm shooter gameplay to this a hundred percent uh we are gonna as a matter of fact talk about my favorite action movie of all time but that's at number six um instead we know we have to get through number seven so this is the guttridge family's collective favorite film of all time me ah. Me, my dad, and my brother have very different tastes in movies. Like, me and my brother, there's a, there's a bit of a crossover there, but my dad doesn't like anything. My granddad also liked this movie, and he liked even less than my dad does. So, to, for this to be, like, all of our favourite movies is a hell of a thing. It's from 1993. It made $150 million. It only has a 76% Rotten Tomatoes score. I think the audience score is a lot higher, but it is potentially the... Sorry, I just looked at the wrong stats. It made 680 million and has a 71% Rotten Tomatoes on. It's probably the schmaltzy its pick I could have gone, but it's Forrest Gump. And let me tell you for why. This movie, there is a running joke between me and my brother that, because I said, like, if Endgame's on... I'm not necessarily going to watch it because, you know, it takes a lot of time. If you come in at the wrong point, you kind of miss some of the fun stuff. Mm. No matter what time of day and no matter what point this movie is on when I find it on the TV, I will watch it until the end without exception. Mm. And I will text my brother to inform him that that's what's going on (laughs) because usually he's also watching it on ITV2 at the same time. (laughs) I got back. I've been on a night out somewhere. And I think I got back, it was about quarter past... No, I'd been at work. I was on a late shift at work. I didn't finish until about half twelve. I got back, and this was on Sky Movies, at about uh, probably about an hour in. And I finished it, <laughs> even though it's about two and a half hours, three hours long. Because if Forrest Gump is on, you have to watch it. Because it's just that goddamn good. I understand that it's not everyone's cup of tea, because it is very schmaltzy. It's very, um, it's very safe for the most part. Like it, it's, it's kind of just 
squidgy and a bit soft. Like I know when it won the Oscar that people were like, well, it just it it plays on nostalgia so much and and all this kind of vilifying of it. And whilst I can see that, I just don't have that relationship with it because I just love it so eternally. Like, I, 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 again, not even all these people have these really dark readings of it, of like Jenny was just taking advantage of a mentally ill person. Like, clearly Forrest Jr. is not Forrest's son and she just, you know, saw that he won the lottery and was a millionaire and wanted to set her son up for life because she better die of cancer. Stop trying to ruin everything. Just let me have my silly movie about the special boy and his special life. Like, let just leave me alone with that. You know what I mean? Now, <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually talked to you about my love of Forrest Gump, so I don't know where you sit with this. I obviously don't love it as much as you, considering it's not in my top ten. I put it that way. Okay. I I've never minded it, and right. I've I've never loved it, but I understand how well made it is. I mean, you don't. You don't win Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Visual Effects, and Best Film Editing all in one year. Bearing in mind it's the same year that The Lion King came out. Mm-hmm. If it's not a good film, because it is. It totally is. And, you know, I would I would be an idiot to argue that it's not a culturally significant movie because it's been parodied too, fuck. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> I think it's one of those films, and I feel like this is how most people feel, feel about Star Wars in a way, is that it's just, it's so prevalent in, in, in like the popular media and in parody and in references that by osmosis, I saw it before I actually sat down and watched it. Um, But it's it's good, and that's really all I have to say. I think... I think maybe the schmaltz... I, I'm sorry. I think... No, no, the, it's just... You could have said, and that's all I've got to say about that. You missed a chance to do a Forrest <laughs> Gump quote, which is, again, another reason it's on here, because me and my brother can have full conversations comprised entirely of just quotes from Forrest Gump. We can do the same <laughs> with Austin Powers movies as well, but this one in particular, we can have entire dialects just directly quoting this movie. <laughs> uh, I feel dirty that my favourite quote is still I got shot in the butt talks. <laughs> they said it was a million dollar wound, but <laughs> the army must keep that money or something because I ain't seen a dime. Like, I just, I could sit here for the next 10 minutes, like Lieutenant Dan buying shares in a fruit company and saying, <laughs> we don't have to worry about money no more. And I was like, good. One last thing. Um, I wish I could do a good Forrest Gump impression, but I just can't. Um, it's also, I just felt like running. Uh, so <laughs> also, it's Tom Hanks, and we talk about Tom right? Hanks a lot. Tom Hanks, again, undisputedly the Guthridge family's collective favourite actor of all time. We love him in Saving Private Ryan. We love him in Goddamn Everything. But this is his oh, magnum opus. I understand that, in retrospect, it might be a little insensitive towards people with genuine special needs. And I get that. That's probably the one criticism that I accept like, without any reservations. But it's not about that. It's about having a, you know, how a normal man can have such a wonderful life. And it gives you such an appreciation for life. Like, yes, it's pointing fun at him. Like when he like sprints off the football pitch and like plays through the band, and the guy sends up and goes, "He might be the stupidest son of a bitch alive. <laughs> sure can run though." <laughs> yeah, I haven't even uh, talked about Bubba Gump, but the Bubba Gump Shrimp Corporation, which again I could go on forever. I, was I gonna, still I was don't say, know. Have you been to one of these? Because we've been we've been in places where those franchises exist in America. 
I have the t-shirt. I didn't actually eat there. Like, I had a chance when I went to Florida again, but I, I didn't actually eat in there because I'm not a big seafood guy. But I did. I, we were in San Francisco. I saw it and was like, well, I'm going to have to go and buy me a Bubba Gump Shrimp Corporation t-shirt. <laughs> That's coming home with Darren. Yeah, I, I still don't know how they got Gary Sinise's legs off um, <laughs> to this day. I don't know. It's unbelievably good CGI. Can, oh, it's piecing him into like all the historical things. Oh, that Just, That is the aspect I really like about this film. I adore everything about this movie. And yeah, genuinely, if I got in and it was one o'clock in the morning and it was two minutes in, I'd be there till four o'clock in the morning. No questions fucking asked. And I've seen this movie. It might be up there as the film I've seen the most out of all of these. Maybe the top five more, but yeah, as considering it's about three hours long, that's that's saying something. It is saying something. And 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 before we finish talking about uh, Gump, we talk about uh, Tom Hanks, who is undeniably Tom Hanks, and also undeniably the character he's yeah. portraying in that movie, especially when he's portraying like a historical figure where do you sit on that scale with with hanks in this movie because is this hanks's most iconic character that's not animated uh well, i'd even say it's more iconic than woody to be honest but that's because i love it so i'd say so um i can't think of a a, a, a Tom Hanks performance that i prefer so i love it i love him even more because he said no to the sequel because it yeah. didn't sound good uh, it, the, there is a sequel book, but it just seems awful. So I'm glad that he had the foresight to go. No, we we did it once. I don't think it's going to work again. So yeah. Do you actually know uh, the story behind the sequel book? I've read some of the things that happen in it, but I I didn't go in any further than that because I treated it like that Jurassic Park Thor four leak of like nope that is a cursed thing and i do not need to look at it <laughs> no we absolutely need that one uh, but, but um no it's, it's interesting because uh the writer of forrest gump didn't actually see that much of the royalties from the forrest gump movie so he purposefully he, he sold the book the the rights to the sequel before it was written to the same company that produced the movie well yeah. purposefully made it the biggest piece of shit he's ever written so that they wouldn't make it and they just spent millions upon millions of dollars on fucking nothing <laughs> doesn't he meet one of the things i do remember is that forrest gump like the forrest gump movie takes place in the forrest gump universe and yeah. tom hanks plays him and forrest gump meets tom hanks yeah he must have been going yeah fuck him i'm just gonna make it the most convoluted piece of shit i can <laughs> exactly you it's know what? such a call and response to like his experiences with that movie being made it's such a weird book fair play to the man right maggle number seven number seven uh we're going back in time again uh to this is one of the two oldest movies in my list because they both come from the same year so it was a fantastic year for cinema as far as i'm concerned um that year is 1975 uh we've already talked a lot about cult movies you've actually mentioned this one by name so i'll be uh, i don't know how you feel about this although i feel like we've had this conversation before mm -hmm. but again in my household in my family obviously my family has very much changed in the last uh in the last 12 months but before that growing up this is not a movie i should have been watching but and yet somehow this is one of my family's favorite movies it is the rocky horror picture show i fucking hate the rocky <laughs> horror picture show <laughs> sorry i'll quickly mention that the meatloaf bit is the only good bit and i will i'll concede my time that's fair 
I couldn't I couldn't remember whether you hated it or were like completely frivolous to it. Our mutual friend Sarah sold it to me solely on meatloaf's in this. Mm. Now considering how little meatloaf's in, I feel she did me a disservice. But yeah, one of my least favorite movies of all time. But I'll let you have your piece, Michael. That's fair. Um, it's weird. And that is all it needed to be at the time that I first saw the movie. I just needed to see something that was ridiculous and strange and madcap and oddly sexual, uh, <laughs> I guess, for the time. I was... <laughs> yeah, who knew it? Who knew it? Okay. Um, the movie was obviously made, released in two thousand. Sorry, uh, 1975. Um, it was based on the uh, stage show of the same name, The Rocky Horror Show, directed, written by Richard O'Brien, who, of course, most people know as that bald guy from The Crystal Maze. Uh, <laughs> Holy sh- No way. Yeah. Oh, my God. OK. He wrote it, directed it and wrote and um, originally composed all of the songs as well. And then did the Crystal Maze. And then did the Crystal Maze. Richard O'Brien is an interesting man. What a dude. <laughs> and it's not even like this film is like, I'm not going to say like it's it's bad because I fucking love it. But like the cast in this is just ridiculous when you think about it in, you know, looking back, Tim Curry, Susan Sarandon, obviously Richard O'Brien himself, Meatloaf, which we've already talked about. Um, yeah, it's it's another one of those things that it's very much... It's the other side of the coin to the room in that this is actually a good thing that is constantly referenced, has its own in-jokes, has its own, uh, like, fandom with its own, you know, when you go and see either this or the stage show, you go in costume, you bring props with you and you're as part of your viewing experience. It has become this, this cult all to of itself. And I just, fucking love it i think the songs are so at the same time and this makes no sense and another song make no sense it is so 1975 musical and also so timeless at the same time um recently there was a, a cover of uh of everybody's heard time warp i'm sorry every motherfucker's heard time warp um and tenacious d recently covered it. it's like yeah that's still a good song it's it's still just I mean, it's it's absolute carnage in terms of its lyrics because it doesn't make much sense. But it's such a good song. And there's just such an elation that comes with watching this film for me of just getting to relive this really campy, stupid, strange, scary, oddly arousing movie all over again. And I, I just think it's genius. And a lot of that has to do with this creating those inroads to me getting involved in, in theatre and especially involved in musicals because these are the characters you want to play. They're fun. They are fun people to play. Like I adore Riff Raff, which is the character that Richard O'Brien himself plays as kind of like this, the, the hunched over butler who then also is like the most rock and roll motherfucker outside of Meatloaf. Um, but the character of Frankenfurter, I think, I think time will only tell us to how he's recontextualized, especially because of the 2016, uh, I think it was the Stars TV channel, although that could be wrong, it might have been Fox, um, when they they remade it. They remade a classic movie, Darren. And oh, fucking boy. Now, we're going to have to talk about it. Um, the Rocky Horror Show deals a lot with uh, sexual repression, as well as sexual exploration and, and ex- expression as well. And of course, 
Dr. Frankenfurter is known as the sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Uh, three words, including Transylvania, that didn't particularly age well. And yeah, I think it's this. It's something that, like I say, it's such a product of his time. And yeah, I think it's timeless. I think the 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 way in which the characters in this this story are all LGBT characters. And yes, whilst being maniacal sex crave aliens with murderous intent from different planets, apparently named after areas of Romania, I, I think that they have this certain likability to them and it makes them these timeless figures, despite the fact that Frankenfurter is, you know, somebody who came to this planet, created his perfect man um, for the purposes of nonstop fucking um, and and then went insane and tried to murder a bunch of people who turned up at his house. And I think the biggest thing is, is that that was then portrayed by a a trans uh, a trans actor in the remake. And it was not received as well. And no disrespect to Laverne Cox, who I think is brilliant in almost everything else I've seen her in. But unfortunately, very few people can play frankenfurter that well and i think this is just this is what people will think of when they think of tim curry because they will think of this completely overblown camp character and go yeah that was tim curry tim curry existed as that character and will continue to exist in the minds of of viewers as that character because of how iconic he is it's it's always a thought when i go and see the stage version is that i wonder how good their frankenfurter will be because they won't be as good as tim curry but hey it might be fun i, I have a lot of emotions about this movie um i know you hate it so i think we'll curtail it there by saying um this was the one i wanted a musical to represent uh on my list because it is a big part of my life so this is the one that saw out the likes of sweeney todd and la la land and you know what I'm more than happy about that. We did a live screening of this at Showcase once, and I was working there, and oh, I was basically like Michael Shannon uh, <laughs> in the shape of water with all the fish people. I have never had more contempt for a group of people than I did on that evening. Is it, anyway, uh, they all brought, you know, they all come in with like the newspaper oh, and the confetti. Yeah. And... Oh yeah, 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 all dressed to the nines. And I, oh God, I was in a bad mood that night. <laughs> Jesus. This is good. This shows, I was worried we were going to be samey, but so far we haven't picked the same movie. Some of mine might turn up later in yours, some of yours might turn up later in mine, who knows. But so far, we haven't actually picked the same movie twice. We're going good. Pretty good. Okay. Uh, my last one for this episode, it's number six. It's 1988. It's from John McTiernan. It only made £140 million in box office, but I imagine it has made 10, 20, 30 times that over the years. It has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is the greatest action movie of all time. It's fucking diehard. I had to get rid of Rocky IV, which is the other manliest man film that ever manned, but <laughs> I'd be damned if Die Hard wasn't making it on here because, again, it's a perfect movie. There is not one single thing in that entire movie that i would change because it is without flaw from start to finish like it also had a problem because they had to make sequels to it because it was so goddamn popular yeah and bruce willis checked out i think after three though it could be argued that he basically he's been checked out since 1988 and anything else he's ever done because 
he knew he was never going to make a better movie with a better character turn than John McClane in this movie. Yeah. Which is, or, and like, fair enough, I don't mind Bruce Willis phoning it in for the rest of his fucking life because he gave us this movie and it is, oh, the most perfect, like, don't know, there's, there's movies higher than this on this list that you could probably say have got action elements, but from a pure it's only there for it's a dad film and it's just the ultimate dad film <laughs> i it, i can't pick flaws with it i adore everything i like aaron rickman like everyone i know to a lot of people he's snape but he will never not be uh hans gruber to me yeah he's unbelievably good in this like easily top five villain of all time no question about it oh hell yeah I, it's like considering it didn't have that much like like there's some big action set pieces the helicopter crashing into the roof and so on it makes a lot out of the small things mm. like him running across the glass him you know just trying to stealthily get underneath tables when people you know, around him it's oh, i think it's it's surprisingly funny as well which i don't think he gets the credit for mm. like everything with argyle is funny <laughs> um yeah, I just, I, I, this is past the point there where I can even have critiques because I'm just going to gush about this, Michael. You might need to tap in here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think most people would know this for the very iconic scene. And, and most people do say it ain't Christmas until you watch Hans Gruber fall off the top of Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, exactly. With good reason. I especially love the story behind that shot specifically mm-hmm. because they didn't warn Alan Rickman they were going <laughs> to drop him. I love that so much, and that means they were able to capture like such an earnest performance in the final moments of that character. And despite everything that Hans Gruber does in that movie, that's the bit you remember him for. I think that's testament to how well made this film is. It's it's good because it's like bad villains, like you know, you can have villains that you in no way, shape, or form like um, can, you know, relate to. Like in horror movies, you get a lot of that. The, the the thing about Hans Gruber is when they crack the vault, when they finally get the last door open after, you know, his plan has come together and it reveals it's all a ruse. You know, they pose as terrorists and they're all fundamentalists and they want, you know, terrorists freed around the world or they're going to, you know, keep killing people. And it turns out it's all a front. He's just a thief, an exceptional thief. And the door opens. He's bathed in the gold light of the Nakatomi um, bank vault. And they play... Um, <laughs> you feel happy for him. You're like, go on, you fucking mad bastard. Oh, you suave <laughs> son of a bitch. Well done. Take the money and run. Go get him, Hans. Like, <laughs> it's, oh, it's so goddamn good that you're on... Like, Obviously, you want John McClane to win in the end. And he is a bastard. And you are happy when he falls off the roof. And it is the best Christmas movie ever made. Don't come at me. But... The fact that you're uh, you enjoy the character so much, he's so fun to be around that you're also happy when he almost like a little bit of you wouldn't have been upset if Hans Gruber had actually pulled it off. It's just oh, Elliot getting uh, Ellis getting shot is wonderful. Like who doesn't like seeing him having his brain because he thinks he's gonna get himself out of it mm. and he gets that can of coke and then they just blow his goddamn head off. <laughs> ah, oh, I love it so much. I was. <laughs> It's one of the more like weirdly angry points of my life. We were in LA on a t- we we went and did like a, a West Coast of, of America. I said the West Coast Avengers, a West Coast tour of America, 
um, we were driving around LA, and the lady in charge of like a whole tour was, you know, an, not elderly. I'd say she was in like a fifties or a sixties. We were driving. We drove past Nakatomi Tower. It is uh, the Fox headquarters, mm. and she didn't even fucking mention it. And me and my brother were almost like we nearly broke the glass from how hard we were trying to press our faces against it. Like, going, that's a that's fucking Nakatomi Plaza. And she didn't even mention it. She was waffling on about some old fire station. I'm like, bitch, it's fucking Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> I was getting so wet up. I'm like, oh my God, we're driving by. This is half the reason I came here to look at this. It still annoys me. We were only there for a day and then we had to get on San Diego. I'm going hopefully there. Touch wood. I'm going there for my honeymoon. I don't care if it's just a corporate building full of suits. I need to go to Nakatomi Terrace at some point <laughs> in my life. Not necessarily to jump off it, but that would be neat. Um, yeah, so that's right, That's it for me. I am checked out for my uh, 10 through 6 movies. Uh, just one more. It's from Michael. What is your number 6? Well, it's quite fortuitous you were talking about action movies, Darren, because mine is actually just an action sequence. I think it doesn't stop the second it starts. It just keeps going and it doesn't have any brakes because all the cars are fucked. It's Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. I wondered when this was going to show. I'm surprised that it's it's this low, to be honest with you, Darren, but I got very sentimental towards the top. Um, yeah, I fucking love this film. We've talked at ends about this film before. We've got a full review available on the website. It appeared at the top 10 movies of uh, 2015. Yes, 2015 when it came out. 97% tomato meter, 86% audience score. This is how you do action if you're gonna do something of this scale and george miller is exactly the kind of person you want to get on board because he's got such a creative eye for making this shit feel not only feel real but actually it is for 100 real I, I remember watching the um behind the scenes stuff from this movie and the only thing they added is like dust when you realise they actually built all of these fucking cars and they actually dangled Tom Hardy off the top of like a 20 foot high pole and they actually tied him to the front of a car and sped him towards the camera and they actually flipped the giant fucking truck from the end of the movie. Oh my God. This is a movie with ambition, you know, because mm-hmm. it was it was. It was re- it was already trying to bring back a completely dead. Nobody cares franchise. Um, and giving it some new life. I mean, obviously, we weren't going to bring back Mel Gibson. Uh, that was before we've apparently allowed him back in front of the camera because he's back in front of the camera now. Um, so we got Tom Hardy, who I think at that time, this this was post-Bane, wasn't it? So people did know who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good thing about the character of Mad Max is that, uh, you know, dialogue ain't supposed to be a strong suit. And they absolutely got that right because Max is a vehicle for the chaos eh, that happens around him. Your actual main character is Charlize Theron's Furiosa, who I think is probably the singularly most important feminist character of the decade. Mm-hmm. Because you understand that character's desire to do what she does, the pain in which she feels at what she believes is the futility of her mission uh, towards the back end of the movie. And it breaks so many goddamn stereotypes of what an action hero looks like. You know, this character is, I mean, she's, she's not like the, um, the stereotypical, stunningly beautiful, 
um, either the uh, Damsel in Distress or Femme Fatales from any of these 80s action movies, what she is is, you know, this really hard done to, emaciated, let's be real, she's a cripple. She has only got one arm and yet somehow is outpacing all of the different factions of these road warriors. And I, I think it, it needs to be said, you know, the product, the act, acting obviously is great from everybody involved, even from, you know, characters that got such unfortunate names as like, oh, what was it? Toast and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So like, but the thing is, it sticks to its, its weirdness. You know, you, it carries on that vein of from Mad Max 2 and to a lesser extent beyond Thunderdome of just having these weird fucking characters and it feeling all ingrained in the world. And it, what it does is that it invents reinvents Mad Max in a way that he feels more like James Bond than ever before. And the reason that that's great is because it means we like 10 years down the line, we can have another one with a different person, you know, your action hero du jour playing Max. And it's just about the carnage. And it's just about the spectacle because any meathead can be Max. It really, really takes the creative vision shown by original creator, George Miller to make this into the, I can't believe I'm going to say this. No, I can believe I'm going to say it, say it Lex. I love it. This movie is actually art. It's high art. It's it's taking the the insanity and the spectacle to such an extreme that it loops back around again to going. No, you what you've actually done here is created something akin to explosive ballet. It it's just fully artistic in the way that it represents its carnage. I know you don't love it as much as this, Darren. So let's hear from you. I mean, real quick, you mentioned Tom Hardy and Carnage. Y'all seen today's trailer? Oh, shit, has that happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Go have a look-see, Michael. Oh, um, God. I, like, I've only seen this movie twice. I do genuinely love it. Like, it is, like, everything you said, like, it is mad event-level cinema. But, yeah, I have only seen it twice. And that's not through, like, uh, I, can't, I can't bother to watch that. It's just... It takes a lot of area watching this. It's it exhausting, really, isn't it? <laughs> it is just two hours of that ah! in movie form. <laughs> like it's brilliant, but oh, it takes takes a lot of area watching this. It is. I mean, it didn't even mention the Doom Warrior. I'm disappointed. Oh, the Doom Warrior. Hero of a generation. Yeah, it got. I'm, 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 I know they're doing a Furiosa prequel with um, What's a Face from the Chess series. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Anna uh, Taylor Joy. Joy. Yeah, yeah. So she's doing the Furiosa prequel. I feel like it would have got a sequel if Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron had got on, but apparently they didn't like each other, mm-hmm. um, which is disappointing because it, it maybe it's better it didn't have a sequel because then I mean again you've got to top this and that's pretty hard to do. So yeah. I love it. I, I appreciate that we got a good video game out of it as well. Um, a glitch cost me a platinum, and I think that's always <laughs> soured me a little bit about that game. But uh, yeah, I didn't mention fucking Die Hard trilogy on PlayStation One. Oh, oh, great game. Oh, well, great three games. Rachel was like, "What are you singing?" I was like, "It's the song from the car park level of Die Hard One on PlayStation One." <laughs> 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 it's 
it's such a banger um <laughs> it is all 90s butt trumpet but it's so good <laughs> oh god it's so yeah playstation one techno at its absolute finest but oh it's beautiful yeah and it's funny, I, I, funny I, you I, mentioned techno actually because i i oh? fucking love the score to this movie as well mm. i i think because it comes from a techno producer tom holkenberg otherwise known as junkie xl um and he he really blended like an industrial style sound with like this this sweeping orchestral score and it works so fucking well like i it's very dangerous i only do it when i'm listening um, on the the motorway and even then i think it's dangerous even for the motorway but having that piece of music on like everything feels fucking epic when you do it ah i love it this is all it's going to be for the top five ladies and gentlemen it's just going to be just going ah God. Yeah, I, I, I hope you like gushing and Star Wars because there's a lot of that coming your way very, very soon. But yeah, well, there we go. I didn't think we'd be able to do this, but we've just talked about ten movies with zero repeats, and that's genuinely impressive because I thought we were in trouble if we were basically going to have the same ten movies just in different locations. But uh, that's brilliant. So yeah, we, we've what a variety hour you've just had, ladies and gentlemen, and. That is only part one. It is. Part two will be going through uh, movies five through one of our uh, greatest of all time, our goats, if you will. Um, I expect there to be some uh, crossover with that, to be honest. I feel mm-hmm. I, did, I did think that this was going to be a bit more. I'll be honest, I'm surprised it was uh, it was two MCUs down here. Obviously, I, I'm not going to ask. But uh, I know that there will be other franchises in your in your top ten. Well, yes, because you've taken the step of only having one film per franchise. Bro, I went down the no. These are the ten my ten favorite movies. Mm. So yeah, I mean, four through two is going to be a a fun thing to go through. Five and one, there's a bit of variety, but oh boy, there's a big old meaty uh, <laughs> lack of variety in the middle of that sandwich. I, but more on that in the next episode. I know exactly what that's going to be, and I am not. You won't be surprised when you go and look at our YouTube channel. I'll put it that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, you can go and find me on Twitter and Instagram and at that Mike Owen. You can go and find Darren and Twitter and Instagram and at the Goodridge. And you can go and find the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the username Fowley and T. That's F O U L E N T. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you can pick up an RSS feed under the username Fowley and T or Fowley and T Podcast, depending on the service you are using. And of course, go to foundtainment.com for more podcasts and more articles from the both of us. Um, this is going to be the big one for this month. Uh, we've just had the Oscars. Hey, do you want to read some out of date predictions? Because it turns out I'm getting better at predicting this shit. I'm calling it now. The Mitchells versus the Machines will get nominated for Best Picture. Um, sorry, best um, animated feature in 2022. Did you watch it? I did. I watched it last night. We will do. Do you want to do a review on it? I mean, we've both seen it. We could do. Okay. Well, we'll save it for the review. But I'm, I definitely think it will get nominated next year. Uh huh. We've still got Pokemon Snap. Uh, I, I am Michael's finished it. I am lagging seriously behind because. Well, basically, I decided to catch all the pavilion forms, um, so that <laughs> distracted me. I didn't tell you, Michael. I basically only got three more Gigantamax ones to get, even though I told you I wasn't going to do that. Bloody hell. I have a sickness. But, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so once, once I have got a bit deeper into Pokemon Stat, we will also have a review of that. And, of course, part two of this top ten countdown will be with you 
very very shortly very shortly indeed but until then thank you for a hundred episodes of popscorn there's another one on the way and we will see you with five through one bye everybody bye